Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. What is your favorite part of Christmas? Break the magic, the food, Jesus, presence, my hat, absolutely. Anyone that asks, I'm like, listen, if it isn't the Spotify annual top genres that helps to explain me, the hat definitely gets me, okay? It is one of my favorite parts of Christmas, okay? It is a leftover from Greek caroling, by the way, which... Have tattoo Tuesdays, absolutely, that was fantastic on there. I have to say, no matter what your favorite part of Christmas is, although I love it, I will take it off, okay? I mean, it's, I don't want you guys to have that kitty feeling the whole time, like, you know, like, hey, you know, yeah, I'll take that away. I don't care what part it is about Christmas you enjoy, you cannot get away from the fact that Christmas affects each and every one of us. And when it's time for Christmas decorations, you know that time. It it gets put on the calendar, sometimes even with its own part of conflict, like, we're going to do it Saturday. Oh, dear Lord, please help me not Saturday. Can we please push it off? No, it has to be done sometime. Okay, fine, Saturday. But one of the things that seems to get unpacked with all of the pretty lights and glitters and sparkles and all is all of the holiday conflict. Have you noticed that? And maybe it's not your favorite part of Christmas, unless you're like, well, we know those people, but they're something else in a different sermon. But you pull them out. What about the conflict of Whose house is it going to be that mama, have you ever had that conflict? That works out really well when you have a family that mama loves daddy and daddy loves mama and you only have like two families to fight over. But if you come from a split family, a blended family, and then you got, well, we have to somehow accommodate 20 different families and somehow make them all happy at the same time, you know. Or what about tradition, Right? What about tradition? Maybe you had your own tradition of the Yule goat. I learned about the other day. I don't know what country they have a Yule goat. Who does that? I don't know, but maybe if you had a Yule goat and we have a Christmas tree and, oh, I mean, it can get really, really ugly real quick. Also, how about budget? Someone said their favorite part of Christmas was the magic. How much does the magic of Christmas cost? Too much. For me, it's like an apple. You know, it's like, Merry Christmas. Thank you, you know. But for some, somehow the little candle in the window to let travelers know in the wintertime that there may be a safe haven just blew up into the Griswold, you know, lighthouse. Boy, well, they can definitely see it. That that is true, you know. Or how about the clothing of Christmas? There are some that say Christmas is not Christmas without ugly sweaters or sweaters in general. 
I didn't say anything, I just bring it up as a point of conflict, no big deal, okay? But I do want to ask this question, how do we get away from Christmas with a life that has changed? And I think if we are going to do that, that life-shaping change comes from a decision to unconditionally surrender to God's interaction with our lives, His call, His activity, whatever that is, for us to unconditionally surrender to that in our lives. And so today, I just want to back up, and Roy and I had the great opportunity to work on some of these messages. So on Tuesday, if you didn't hear that, you heard a lot of the praise out of Luke 1 and 2. But what I want to do is back up just a little bit and look at what was happening on a personal level with some of these stories. Spirit asked, when we begin our time section in Christian life, what is the most spiritual thing you can do? And I mean, there's a whole host of things, but I'll just cut to the short and skinny. The most spiritual thing you can do is choose. There is a point in time where you have to make a decision. And I do know I work in the admissions and somehow people don't like making decisions, okay? I, are you, you feel that? Yeah. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I, I'm one of these people. One of the worst things is I think... If I were to be sent to hell, it would just be a continual choose-your-own-adventure novel. Do you remember those? You know, this is a little segue, but I mean, I just couldn't, you know, I was like, okay, if you choose to go in, go to page 10. If you choose to go out, go to page 15. So I'd go to page 10 and try and figure out what was there in page 15, but then it's another decision. And by the time it was over, I was like, I hate this book. I hate it. You know, I hate it. And so, but, and have this decision moment that changes things for us. And for us, and, and in life, we know this, the point of decision that we finally make a decision is a long ways from the outcome of that decision, okay? Because a lot of times people, they are always focused on the wedding and the marriage and all that, you know, except that's, a, that's actually a long way from the decision point. So for me, the decision point, when I finally had the nerve to ask the question, Tammy met me at the door at gunpoint. I said, I do have the ring. If you want to hear the story, please get from me, not from her. She likes to tone it down. The facts were she did have a gun, I did have a ring, and I did propose. But that decision moment had a lifetime of outcome to it. Yeah, there was a wedding. There was other things. There was also a time I remember because um, we were at least fortunate in this. When we got married, we were in the military. We didn't want kids in the military because, you know, the, you know, they can move you wherever they want. Then we were doing college and all that. And I remember the conversation late at night. I was actually still awake to have a conversation that's, you know, young married life there, I guess. And I remember it was like, hey, what about this kid situation? And we made a decision to try and have a kid. We'd been practicing for a long time, but this was, you, you know what I mean, okay? But that decision moment, I, I just want to be real, okay? So, but that decision moment to have a child affected a lot of outcome. 
And it is recorded, baby. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. So I want to take you to a few Christmas stories and to look at the interaction, the God's activity, the decision point of these individuals and some of the outcome. Okay? Um, And for me, looking at Luke 1 and 2, there seems to be this like little bit of a chiastic structure. It's a little bit Cody imposed, but we're going to work with it, okay? The first one comes from Zechariah. And the cool thing about Luke, I always think that Luke, if the timeline lined up, Mary would have been an old person, but there's a really good chance Luke interviewed Mary. And there's a good chance that one of the reasons Luke is so rich with some of the birth narrative is he heard it from Mary herself. Now you can, you know, whatever, but it's my fantasy, okay? So leave me alone, all right? But Zechariah, he goes to the temple. He is there doing his duty as a priest. And this angel of the Lord comes to him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped words with fear. And this idea of shock and awe, there's a lot of words of of awestruck, of wonder, of pondering, of whatever, all in these first two chapters. And when we see God's activity in our life, fear is one of the things that comes to mind from the biblical stories. And then after that is really the awe and the wonder Meant that happens as well. So we see Zechariah still there, gripped with fear. An angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You are to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and delight to you for many and all of this stuff. I mean, the cool thing about the Christmas narrative is that the angels, they are not omniscient. They had no idea that God did in his timeline. So the angels have been aware waiting the birth of Christ for as long as the church has been as well. And so when they get the message to tell the people of God the good news, can you feel the exuberance of Gabriel in these passages? Woo! Zechariah is finally here. I bring you good news. And he's like, I don't give two hoots and a holler. What? I mean, it it really is the Star Wars moment when Luke Skywalker finds Obi-Wan Kenobi, of all things, in some cave hidden out on Tatooine. Some of you don't know that, and I just spoke in tongues without an interpreter, and I apologize. But you get what I mean. There's this failed Jedi. He has this long history of being this awesome person. And you have Zachariah. He's been faithfully done doing all of this stuff. And now, and now you come to me? I've always wondered why there was a little bit of maybe real tension between Zachariah and Gabriel. And I don't fully know it because I think this interest comes only through a long period of dryness with your relationship with God. And I'm not talking about, oh, dear Jesus, this semester was tough. I'm talking about, dear Jesus, the last 70 years of you not showing up in my prayer life has been rough. And so when the angel comes up and says, oh, your prayers have been heard, and Zechariah says to the angel, how 
How can I be sure of this? You know those people that said, hey, if Jesus himself showed up, I still wouldn't believe him. And Zachariah says, if an angel of God showed up and said I was going to have a baby, I wouldn't believe them either. And he said, listen, your prayers have been heard. And he said, well, guess what? Those prayers shriveled up and died with the womb of Elizabeth. Angel said, fine, shut your mouth. Okay, so the sign to you will be your silence. And even though there is some conflict that is happening, even in the life of Zechariah, and I think maybe it, it took a moment for him, but this moment was a deciding point that changed for him. And I think that we can see that because back in the birth narrative, sorry, things are sticking in, is that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. How in the world did Elizabeth know he was going to be called John? Because Zechariah made a decision to follow God. Okay, And then we call his name John. And the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this, they wondered about it. What then is this child going to be? And the wonderment that happens, some of these, another translation says, they just laid it up in their hearts. The contemporary version, that this whole situation just lived rent-free in their minds. Okay, just every once in a while, it just kept coming back and coming back. It's like, my gosh, I wonder what is happening on this. And then Luke kind of bookends this chapter with the shepherds. The shepherds, Zechariah, he's been around a long time. He kind of had this failed mentality as well. The shepherds, it was just another day on the plains. Okay, they had clocked in at work. They were watching their fields at night. Just hanging out, doing what shepherds do at night, watching a flock. Okay. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, they were terrified. They had to change their tunic. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. This same news the angel had brought to Zechariah, bringing good news to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. It's a sign to you wrapped in, uh, find a baby wrapped in clothes, laying in a manger. Suddenly a company of the heavenly hosts appeared. They were praising God. I already told you, heaven could not contain their exuberance for this moment. The heavens broke open. And so they already made a decision. Shepherds apparently have a very short decision span. It's like, oh, okay. And we're going. So that was fine. And they hastily hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, they were amazed. They wondered about it. What is going on? What is happening? In both of these passages, the good news of God, the activity of God, is met with a decision point of the people which has an outcome that those that hear it are in wonderment. 
It's not, I, I will say this, is that I think the world is in wonderment with the church, but it's not because they see God's activity in the church and in her people, but they see a lot of this struggle for who's in control of our hearts. We'll talk about that in a minute because true life change is going to be this unconditional decision to surrender to God's activity and call in our life. And then right in the middle of this, in between some of the praising and all, but between the good news and, and the wonder that is happening, you have Mary. And Mary also saw Gabriel, and she was greatly troubled. He said, don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child. You'll give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said, what? I'm not even sure if I've taken health class and know all of the things that happened, but I'm pretty dang sure you need a man and a woman. And I just barely got me a man. Okay, And a lot of times we put our context to this, but this is a first century, anywhere from 12 to probably 15. So you pick a number in there, any way you get it, it's a teen pregnancy outside of wedlock. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God, and here's your sign as well. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And one of my favorite prayers of all Scripture, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said it. Not my will, but yours be done, right? You hear that? This, this moment of complete and utter surrender to God. And then she, she goes out to, Mary, uh, to Elizabeth, and again, we see this good news of God, this decision that is made, and then the wonderment that comes. It's not listed the same, because with this story of the women, it is a little bit different. And Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She has the same wonderment. She, was on, she said in a loud voice, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you will bear, Jesus. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This wonderment as well that happens. What about you? What is the activity of God in your life this season? And I believe one of the reasons why each year, one of the things we pack up is our conflict. We pack up our budget discussions. We pack up our tradition discussions and our family discussions. And one of the reasons they're packed away is because, fine, you got your way this year. I'm making a note on this paper in here. It's my year next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next year. So that way, when I pull them out next year, I'm going to get it my way. I'm going to have my version of happiness. I'm going to have my version of the magic of Christmas, no matter how much it costs or where we have to go. I want it my way. And what we find in Scripture is these decision points 
had an unconditional surrender to the will of God. Do you hear it in Mary's prayer? She said, okay, I, I don't fully understand everything. And if I were to weigh this out, oh my goodness, it would not make sense. But I'm going to go ahead and submit to your will. It's not my will, your will be when on there. And boy, did it change life when we finally make that decision with God. And honestly, I'm not sure if some of us are at a point that we're sick and tired of being the same way and trying to fight for our scrap of the territory. Some of us are honestly just fine with the sin temptations that we have. Oh, we'll bring it out in small group. Oh my gosh, I just did it again. I just couldn't lean on Jesus anymore. Please pray for me. Okay. Oh man, I'm, I'm just really having a hard time uh, giving all of this to God. And oh, well, we'll pray about it. I see it a lot. Am I cynical? Oh yeah. Yeah, sure am. Because I see it way too much in people. That we normally use our struggle and conflict with God for more attention for ourselves than true life transformation. Because if you want life transformation, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, that's the decision point. This is, this is the decision I'm making, and I'm going to allow God to produce the outcome of it in my life. Okay? And, and honestly, oftentimes we don't know what that is. Okay? Let me just put it in my own journey. I got baptized when I was 10 because I wanted to make daddy happy, and it made daddy happy. And so it was a good day. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of life change. I, I mean, I still struggled with a whole lot of duplicity through high school. And I really put God on a shelf when I got out of the house. But when push came to shove, and I found out that the real purpose and meaning of life is God, and fully submitted to that decision... It continued journey great effect. I, I never lost sight of this decision. It was kind of a long journey throughout. Just the moment of, of asking Tammy to be my wife. She had no idea we were going to do ministry. In fact, we weren't really Christians at that time. So the fact that we're way over here says that this woman here can put up with a lot of life change. Okay? But for most of us, we're not willing to draw a line in the sand. If we want to be changed this Christmas, what's the line that you will draw and say, okay, God, it's not my will that yours be done. One of the best things, I, I love this prayer because when we go to the garden, because Christmas always leads us to the cross, is that when Jesus is in the garden, and I think we would all agree, if we had to pick a moment that Jesus was struggling with the weight of what had been placed in even before time began, it would culminate in this garden moment where he was wrestling with this decision. You remember that? He felt alone. 
He felt inadequate. He asked his friends to be with him, to pray with him. He reached out. He was internally so vexed that blood vessels started breaking and blood was pouring, all this other stuff. And do you remember his prayer? I love his prayer because I'm, I don't think it was original. I think he had grown up with the story of hearing about how the angel came and mama used to say, ha, Jesus, you would never guess. When I said, okay, fine, God, not my will, but yours be done, I could have never imagined. Could you imagine that we ran to Egypt and back? Yeah, 1,200 miles on that donkey, no bigs, cool, you know. Had no idea that we would wind up in this carpenter shop, had no back. And Jesus, in his moment of greatest struggle, reaches back to an unconditional prayer of his mom and prays the same thing. God, not my will, but yours be done. And this decision moment, this unconditional surrender, changed our lives, your life, changed your life and the life of the world as well. But if we want to have true change, it will come from a decision to unconditionally surrender to God's activity in our life. We've had a lot of hiccups this, summer, this semester, and by hiccups, I'm talking about major losses. We lost Caleb. Some of you have lost parents and friends. Some of you have dealt with sickness. And that's just on top of all the normal pressures of like when you take all of the heavy classes at BBC all in one time because you didn't realize what was going on and the death triad's a real thing, you know? And I mean, all of these things. Have you stopped and asked a question where is God's activity in, in your life this semester? And what is the decision he is calling you to say, not my will, but yours be done? If we don't want to pack up our conflicts anymore, we would like to pull out the Prince of Peace in, in this Christmas season. We have to surrender to God's will as well. Will you pray with me today? Father God, we are so grateful for the good news of your son that was so exuberantly told by the angels. I cannot imagine their great joy and honor that they got to be the one, that Gabriel got to be the messenger of that message. Messiah's coming. Things are changing. Yeah, it takes a while sometimes because even on the road, these announcements there were many months and years down the road. And Lord, will you help us this season to be very mindful of your activity and what you are calling us to do? What is the good news that you have come to present to us individually this season? And Lord, will you give us the courage and maybe just the, the righteous indignation to say, it stops I've dealt with this for so long, whatever this is, and I am going to give it to you. And Lord, may it be your will in our life and not mine. May this Christmas change us because the birth of your son has changed this world so dramatically. 
May we be your exuberant messengers this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu. 